0: In the following live session recording, Joe Graham, collegiate catalyst for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, talks about battling unbelief, helping college students serve the Lord in the midst of anxiety and depression. In this session, the listener will hear a discussion about how your church can walk alongside college students who might be struggling with anxiety and depression. The listener will also hear how the church can help students serve the Lord in the midst of their suffering. Let's join Joe now. I hope I'm not the cause of a lot of college student anxiety and depression. (laughs) I I hope you all aren't either. Uh, But I I have led this seminar before. And uh, I, I, somebody said, well, do you enjoy leading this topic? No. Uh, I don't enjoy that we have to pull aside for an hour and 15 minutes and talk about anxiety and depression among college students. But one of the realities is is it is, it is the single largest descriptive of this generation of college students right now. And so we better pull aside. We better spend some time talking about it because it is reality in their lives which makes it reality in the life of the church. And so we're gonna look at some things, some folks this afternoon said, what is the cause of all this anxiety and depression? I'm, I'm gonna hand you all some stuff in a minute that will help explain some of it, but I, I can't just say well if we fix this and this and this, it'll go away. It, it's not that simple. Societal problems, cultural problems, personal problems, um, anxiety problems, you, you can't just wave a magic wand and, and say abracadabra and do a three-point fix and and make everything okay. If you're looking for easy answers, you may want to go find something down the hall. Because what we're going to talk about is how do we get a handle on the problem and how do we help these kids. As I was telling Bill earlier, how can we try to figure out honestly how to do children's ministry differently today. There's a reason our college kids, that, that one of the real reasons and one of the real descriptives of them is that they're the most anxious, most depressed, most likely to commit suicide, most medicated generation in a long time. Let's try to figure out why that's true and then let's look back at our student ministries too. Let's look back at our children's ministries. Let's look back at our parenting. Let's look back at our preaching. Let's, whatever it is you're involved in in the life of the local church, Let's look back and try to figure out how we, can not, how we can learn the lessons we need to learn from this very anxious, depressed generation of college students. That, that's at least a piece of this. Let's understand what's going on. Let's figure out how to minister to them. And let's try to figure out how to aim ourselves backwards or forwards in this case. To begin to get a handle and get a grasp on how do we help this be better for future generations. So that's what we're going to try to do in an hour and 10 minutes. I need to give a couple of shameless plugs first because I'll forget if I don't. Did any of you get a note about this training, Go Georgia training from me? If you did, you're on our Collegiate Ministry mailing list and none of you are. So if you would like to be on it, I can make a couple of promises. Uh, I promise I will not flood your inbox with tons of email. I would let you know about training events like this and what's going to be offered. I will let you know about our collegiate conference coming up, Confluence, which is always toward the end of September. You have a card on that. Uh, We'll let you know about things that will be relevant to college students in collegiate ministry. Uh, But I think in the course of a year you'll find that I've not I've not flooded your... In- and, and we won't sell your information to anybody. That's the other promise. Your, your social media footprint will not be damaged by being on this list. Uh, I do have a, a card on your chair. Just some basic information about Georgia Baptist Collegiate Ministry. Uh, GABCM is our email. I, I mean our website. If you want to find out what's happening at BCM's and campuses all over the state, that's the place to go. If you want to find out what we focus on in our department, that's the place to go. If you want to find out what we're doing with missions, collegiate missions, and perhaps you've heard of summer missionaries, perhaps some of you have been summer missionaries in the past. We've we've made a tremendous impact in the kingdom of God through the year. Thousands of students have gone and spent a summer or part of a summer giving themselves away and and letting God get a hold of their lives and call them. And so, a lot of good stories there. We want you to know about that website and then also about our Confluence Conference. The general overarching theme this time is discipleship. Last year we focused on evangelism. This time it's discipleship. The theme is pursuit. And and here's here's the important thing, another another truth in advertising kind of example. We want kids to understand what real biblical discipleship is. We want them to walk away from the weekend with a personal plan for how I'm going to get more serious about my personal discipleship. And lastly, we want them to be thinking of ways they can begin to disciple others and who might be that person or persons that they need to be pouring their lives into. One of the ways I do this is is just a real simple process, uh, and think back to college days, those of you that have been in college, pick a class one semester. Just pick any class you were in and then sit down in that class and you can pick the person in front of you, the person sitting behind you, the person on your right or the person on your left, and say, Lord, who would you have me get to know this semester? It's just an example of of very simple things you say to the student, you pick the class, and you sit down and, and you just simply say, Lord, which of these four people have, have you placed me near for a purpose? And, and God will answer really, really fascinating prayers like that. If you say, Lord, give me, give me somebody that I can pour my life God, God listens to fools talking out loud. He's listened to me. I once said, I'll never live in Atlanta. God, God listens for stuff like that oh really alright boy we'll show you uh, so when so when we pray prayers like that Lord which of these four people would you have me you better believe he'll answer that prayer and, and I love the stories that come sometimes from people just being open to to that process that's a lot of what we'll do that weekend we'll have some great worship we'll have some uh, we have great musicians, we have great speakers, uh, we have great breakout times, but we don't, we don't try to outpassion the Passion Conference. We have good worship, but we're not there just to worship. We're there to, to set a really deep foundation in these students, not just that they leave the weekend going, wasn't that a wonderful weekend? I want them to have a wonderful weekend and go back ready to impact their, their world. So that's a lot of what that's all about. Last uh, bit of info. I'm sure you've been in conferences where people say, now hold your questions for the end. Those are people who don't want you to ask questions. I'm I'm just telling you something you already know. People like that really don't want you to ask questions, and they're going to fill up most of the time. Where did the time go? I am so sorry. I want you all to ask questions along the way. I want you to. Give you permission, blessing, whatever it is you need. Uh, you'll notice this is a very low-tech conference. You'll, you'll notice I don't have any, I'm gonna give you a handout and I'm gonna read some stuff. But this is a very low-tech conference. You, if you're looking for things that are contributing to what kids are struggling with today, I'm trying to answer that in the very way I'm going to lead this conference. Because just about every kid in your life lives their life like this. How many times do you go out to eat? I mean, this past week, I, I called Gail. That's my bride, by the way, back in the back. Um, and, and it's one table, but it's many tables. There's a family sitting there having dinner together and all four of them, they're on their phones and not on their iPads. All four of them. It's not the reason that kids have such anxious, depressed issues in their lives, but we think those of us who who are trying to do some some real solid research in the matter, that's a piece of this. It's a piece of it. We. We've allowed, some, in my generation, we allowed the TV to babysit our kids. Now, you, you go out and, and parents aren't parenting very much, you just hand your kid an, iP- an iPad. And, and you keep them occupied, and, and what's happening along the way, and we're noticing a lot with college students today, they, they will make dates online. They will make dates, they will break dates they will break up with boyfriends and girlfriends. They live their lives right here. And what that means is they know how to digitally interact with somebody, but they don't know how to have a relationship with people. This is a good time for a handout. And I hope and pray, I gotta keep one if If you would if you're here with somebody you know and love and can trust, if y'all will share one I'm sorry uh and I think we'll be okay if if some of you will share along the way uh because when I pulled out from the office yesterday, I didn't know I was going to be doing this tonight Tell me uh, we're going to try to be ready and uh actually, when I come, I come prepared for times like this. I just didn't bring maybe enough, I hope. We'll see. When we get back to the back row, we'll pray we've got everybody covered. And I'm going to wait until we get this handed out before we... Well, and
1: we'll... We,
0: we may just make this. I think we're going to be okay. Lacey, you can have my copy later. I can sit over this way and share with you. <laughs>
2: Yay!
0: All right, Lacey, you need one. All right. Yay! The Lord, Lord provides. Um, today's college student and today's college culture. What I tried to do was diagram it as best I could here on the left. Generation Z, if you were here this afternoon and talked some about Generation Z characteristics, we'll we'll talk about some of that, but we're not gonna just talk about understanding Gen Z. There are three other conferences you can go to. We'll hit some of the aspects of that. But Generation Z, as this relates to the level of depression and the use of meds today, as it relates to one of the things that we think is, is a real huge part of this, lack of critical thinking. Kids, and, and I'm painting with a broad brush here, students today and, and we're, we're talking generally college students today, most of them have not really had good critical thinking skills and and directly across from that on the left a lack of problem-solving ability. And then think about all these things as they relate to sexual expectations on campus and with other people. And then the use of support animals, support people, support ministers, support parents, support you name it. Uh, The craziest one I've seen so far, I heard about somebody who tried to get on a plane with a support snake. And I know of a couple of students who have support chickens. And then there's pretty much everything else in between. Um, and and we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of why all this happens. Think back, uh, and, and a lot of this with my kids who've been out of college now for. Uh, my youngest has been out of college for ten years, but as as that general generation was going through school, professors discovered the use of groups, and and we're gonna we're gonna have group projects and were you all a part of group projects much? If the older you are, the less likely you're involved in group projects. The younger you are, the more likely you were involved in them to the point that maybe for even four years, uh, most of the years of high school, years of college, most everything you did was in the midst of a group project. Let me tell you what tends to happen, and as we've observed it, let's say we put four kids together in a group project at least one of those kids is going, I'm not letting these people ruin my grade. I'm going to do whatever I've got to do. You got one kid that goes, four people? I'm not going to have to do much of anything. You got a couple of people in the group who say, well, I'm kind of good at this. I'll do this. And I I really don't enjoy this. Maybe somebody will do that. And, And I used to think that that what that was developing was, you know, one kid who's going to bust his or her butt to get it all done and get it done right. What I've come to realize is that we're developing four very dysfunctional people. Actually, all four of them, over time, become very dysfunctional. Because this person who's going to do whatever it takes, does whatever it takes. This person who's not going to do but the bare minimum is going to do the bare minimum. And we got these other people that are just going to do what they love to do and are going to stay away from the things that they don't love. Um, think about years, years of group projects. Think about uh, folks who who get their grade based on the group. Who uh, I, I've known professors who uh, and and I'll try to not narrow this down to either a school or a discipline, but I know of folks who basically said, you all are gonna write the book this semester, and and here, you, you choose this topic, this topic, this topic, and everybody's gonna have two weeks to do the research and write their area, and then you all are gonna teach the rest of us everything there is to know about that topic. And at the end of the semester, we're gonna pull it all together and hand it, hand it out to you. I, I, get, to, I get to figure out, I, I'm going to learn this one narrow area of this discipline and I'm going I'm to learn all that I can about this and everybody else is going to do that and in the end I'm going to have this collection of stuff. But this is what I know. Th- this is what I've invested and I'm going to spend the rest of the time this semester listening to each other person talk about what they've invested in and we've created this really, really poor attempt at education it, because we've, we've created a, we, this great book almost at the end of the semester on this subject, on this topic, on this discipline. Did I do a good job of not giving it away? it it was actually a ministry class. I will give that part away. And that was the semester. That was the semester. They basically self-taught. They self-researched and they self-taught. And professors showed up every day and said, okay, I believe it's it's your session. And off they would go. Now, a couple of other examples. And then we're going to try to begin to take this apart and have lots of time to talk about it. In the midst of the last college generation, we had a group of interns who got together. I had spent some time talking with them about the fact that this generation of college students, this was, the student in question was just a year older, but this, this generation of college students is really struggling with problem solving. They, they don't know how to solve problems. They don't know how to critically think. They, they don't know how to to get in the middle of something and figure out, if you can't Google it, then you can't figure it out. And the interns are going, yes, this, we've, yeah, we've noticed this too. This generation's really struggling with this. We had, we, we finished up for the two day retreat that we were on and we were leaving and one of the interns came in and she said, my car won't start. I, wait, my car won't start. Okay, let, let's go see what's going on. Has, has this ever happened before? Yeah, probably a couple of times. Well, what what was it before? <laughs> I I don't, I don't. My car won't start. Okay, well let's go out to the parking lot. Is When you turn the key, is it making a clicking sound? Or is it, I don't know. And probably two more times on the way out there, she said, my car won't start.
1: I just want
0: to say I work at Geico, and that's exactly how to describe it. <laughs> I said, okay, what, tell me, Okay, you said this happened a couple other times. What, what did you do when it happened at the time? Of, my dad, my dad came and fixed it. Do do you remember what he fixed? And and so we're going through all these things. And so, I and a, another person begin to you need to just kind of start with the obvious. Is the battery charged? Is, you know, you look at the fuse. There's a fuse that's out. Um, but I see. I just distilled that down to about two minutes. We're talking about 20 minutes of, have you done, you know, and and I'm trying to lead her through the process of problem solving and critical thinking. Has this ever happened before? What did you do when it happened before? Who did you, and the bottom line is, number one, her car wouldn't (laughs) stop. And number two, whenever this happened, Daddy took care of it.
2: Right, Daddy didn't
3: walk her through it. To teach her how to figure it out, Daddy just
2: fixed
0: it. Daddy just fixed it, and
2: hey, she's laughing way too hard. Because <laughs> <laughs> I she just
4: did this. Daddy, your husband's gonna fix it. <laughs> hey, well,
3: when you have strong people supporting you, but, you know what can you say? My
2: support, <laughs>
0: Oops, <laughs> We, we have generation, we, we now have a couple of generations, even more true with the generation that's in college now. They, they, they run into something. Uh, one of the things I know is going to happen, for instance, over Christmas break, for some over Thanksgiving break, if, if that is the last child to leave home, one of the things I've learned from experience is, last child out of the house, Probably, well not probably, for one in seven of those kids, when they go home at Christmas break, they're gonna find out that their parents are getting a divorce. that That's reality, I'm telling you all. When the last kid leaves home, if mom and dad have not done a good job of keeping their relationship fresh and new and vibrant, When that last kid goes home, by the time Thanksgiving or Christmas rolls around, mom and dad aren't doing very well. And a lot of times kids will learn, kids that fall into this category will learn over Thanksgiving, many more over Christmas. They begin to notice, why are are mom and dad in different bedrooms, why why is dad not here? You, You can hide that when the kid's away at school, you can't hide it during Christmas break. And so they find out, what do they do? What do I do? I, I don't, for some of them, there, there's enormous feelings of guilt because as, as everything begins to put back together, they, this happened because I left home. No, it didn't happen because you left home. But, but you begin, with, if kids don't know how to problem solve, kids don't know how to critically think, they don't know how to take apart and understand the pieces of their lives. And they don't know how to take apart and figure out the things that have gone wrong and how to deal with them. We have, right now, we're in the midst of trying to keep roommates from killing each other on college campuses across Georgia. When I was a campus minister, I spent the first three weeks every time trying to keep roommates from killing each other and it's still true today it, most kids head into a dorm room having lived in a room by themselves for the last few years and they don't know how to live with somebody they don't know how to problem solve the fact that I need to get x number of hours of sleep every night and my roommate won't shut up or my roommate won't stop playing music or and they don't know how to Communicate their needs and concerns. They don't know how they, I, I've not personally seen this but some campus members where they will literally text their roommate to cut the music down rather than have a conversation, rather than deal with it. They don't know how to deal with it. This generation came along after 9-11. I don't know how old you were, when the planes went into the Twin Towers and the plane went down in Pennsylvania. Uh, I, I don't know how old you were, but this generation has no memory of that event. But they have lived with the aftermath of this event their entire lives. I I was due to fly about four days after 9-11. I, have, I don't even remember where I was going now. There are people who Swore they would never fly again, I said to myself, as I headed out the door and flew wherever it was I was going there's never been a safer time to fly than right now. but so what is it what is the difference in me who goes okay, this is what happened four days ago. The restrictions have been lifted. what's the likelihood they're 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 doing security like they've never done security before. I remember them checking my license that day. It it felt like they were checking it every time I took three steps to make sure I really was who I said I was and to make sure the name matched with the ticket. But some people swore I'll never fly again. Some people couldn't handle it. I remember being on that plane and seeing people physically, physically unable to cope with the fact that they were taken off and is this plane going to crash, is there one of those people on this flight, that kind of stuff. So what, what separates those who approach life and the situations life throws your way and life throws all of us those situations? What's the difference between folks who approach those things and begin to think through it and they begin to ponder through it and they begin to pray through it and they begin to plan through it, and they begin to live through it. And those who just say, ah, I can't take this. This generation, um, and, and think about it for a minute. Because of the events of 9-11, because of the events of Columbine, because of the events, this is a generation who has been taught how to handle an active shooter more often than they've been taught how to do a fire drill. And, and Think about this, even when you're in the active shooter drill, what happens if, if you're in a high school and there's an active shooter and you just run out? They won't let you just run out, you have to leave the building like this. So, wait a minute, I'm scared there's an active shooter in the building but I'm also scared of going outside because somebody might shoot me outside friendly fire. Now, put yourselves in this kind of mental environment. Put yourself in the environment where, and I don't know if any of you had to go through metal detectors to go into high school. Now, It's becoming more and more, especially in the Atlanta area, there are plenty of high schools where kids have got to walk through a metal detector every day. Imagine the world now where our students live every day wondering, is this the last day I'll live? Is this the day somebody's gonna shoot up my high school? Is this the day somebody's gonna come in my church and open fire? Is this the day? I wouldn't raise like that. My guess would be most of you were not raised in that environment, that this generation was. As a result, and I wanted to make sure I get this right, so I'm going to read this part. I I know some of you are afraid I was going to read a lot to you. I'm not. As a result, college students reported doing. The following, most of the time, are always. Oops, sorry, I'm on the wrong one. Sorry, it moved. Sorry, let me get where I need to be. Think through Okay. Here we go. Academic impacts. Within the last 12 months, students reported the following factors affecting their individual academic performance. There's all these things listed, but 9.9% said internet use and computer games. This is 10% of the kids in college said my using internet and computer games affected my academic performance. 18.7, almost 19% said depression has affected my ability to be a student. 26.5% said anxiety, diagnosed anxiety has had an effect on me. 21.8% reported sleep difficulties. Sleep difficulties in most cases are related to stress, sometimes to chemical imbalances but often to stress. And 33.2% listed stress actually itself.
2: What so was
0: that, 33.2? 33.2. What? Stress. Oh. Just stress made it impossible for me to approach my academic responsibilities. Um, a, a few other statistics, and I'm, I'm not gonna, remember this. this generation is less likely to abuse alcohol. This generation is less likely to engage in uh, less likely to engage in overt sexual relationships that are casual in nature. Not, not, not casual in nature. It doesn't mean this generation doesn't have sex but they're way less likely to have casual, opportunistic sex. This generation's far less likely to abuse drugs. And all this comes down, and and we we talked about the after 9-11 generation, we talk about all these things. What all of this boils down to is this generation wants to be safe. This generation wants to experience safety. they they desire to have a level of safety when they go to school. They want safety in relationships. They're not as likely to engage in in casual opportunistic sex because they've seen what that's done to other people. They're not as likely to engage in abusing alcohol or drugs because they've seen what that does to folks. One of the fascinating things for those of us who are older who you know you, there's some people on facebook or instagram or twitter who you just know their every thought and and there there are people who have had their lives ruined because they put on facebook or twitter or instagram their every thought there there was a a person in particular i don't remember the the the, the specifics of this but a a girl who wrote something on instagram and was on her way, she was at the airport on her way to to England uh, for a new job and she had listed some stuff the afternoon before she got on the plane. When she landed in England, she was met at the arrivals gate by somebody who had seen what she wrote and what had been on Instagram and told her she no longer had a job today's student sees that and they go, I am not going to be that stupid. (laughs) And so when you look, who are all the people that are are ventilating on a daily basis about politics, about cultural stuff? You're not going to correct me if I'm wrong. Mariah's going to know this better than I do. Almost none of them are college age. Almost none of them because they've seen what it can do to families. They've seen what it can do to relationships. They've seen people arguing about Clinton or Trump, Clinton or Trump, Clinton or Trump. How could you do this? No, how could you do this? And they've seen families ripped. And they're not gonna, I'm not gonna put my thoughts down. Matter of fact, it'd be easier if I just don't think about things like that. And so we got a generation now that that doesn't want to have controversial conversations. They don't want to delve into things because they've seen how it can tear things apart. And remember, what they really want more than anything else is safety. And, and they want, they've seen uh, Gen X and they've seen some millennials who are following their hearts and are getting degrees where they can't get any jobs. <laughs> and are following their hearts into the arts fields where nobody's buying their paintings or turning them in, giving them a music contract. And this generation is going, nope, that's not for me. I want a job, I want something I can depend on, I want something that I want, that that I want a safe career. Now, I may change careers 20 times in the lifetime, (laughs) but I I want something I can depend on, I want something that's going to be dependable for me. So, what do you do if you're in a world that doesn't feel very safe? If you're in a world where you don't really know how to critically think because nobody ever forced you to or taught you to, what do you do in a world where problem solving is not something that most families did most families are are composed of what we call now lawnmower parents. There used to be something called helicopter parents that hovered. Lawnmower parents clear the path, clear the path, and if I can clear the path for my son and daughter, they won't have to worry about those kind of things. We had a lawnmower parent this very week in a campus I won't mention. We had a, a, a young man who said some things and grabbed a hold of a girl's arm and pulled her in a hole to talk to her. This is one of our BAPS Student Centers, and spent the entire conversation looking right here at her. Well, it was bad enough, and he had done this with somebody else, that we went with her to campus police. We went with her to the counseling center don't know what the campus is going to do. We took the steps of saying, I'm sorry but you're not allowed at the Baptist Student Center anymore until this is cleared up. You're not allowed on the property or in the building. We did all that we could do. We, we banned them from BCM and the property. We took her to the campus police. We took her to the counseling center. The, the systems on the campus are working. Mom calls mom of one of these four girls calls. We are not doing enough. We are not doing enough. What is it that... Okay, here's what we've done. (laughs) We've intervened with this young man. We've told him he can't come back in the building, can't come on the property. We've walked with the girls to the campus police and to the counseling center those two systems are operating on the campus. This young man probably won't be a student a week from now, okay? And she's mad at us because we haven't done enough. And so the question that she really couldn't answer or wouldn't answer, I, I said to the campus minister, ask her this question, what else do you want us to do? What else can we do? Because she wanted to plow it all out of the way. What she wanted is for us to kick her kid out of her, her, kick this young man out of college. What she wanted us to do is to put him in jail. We don't, Baptists can do a lot of things, we can't do that.
3: <laughs> Was she the mother of the boy or the girl?
0: Mother of one of the girls. Okay. Mother of one of the girls. She and, and I would put her in this category of a lawnmower parent. She, she wants to obliterate any obstruction, anything that makes her child feel uncomfortable, anything that makes her child feel unsafe. And in the end, it's also a mama thing. She wants, and, and she wouldn't say this, but I, I'm telling you what it is. She wanted us to fix this, make this go away. I, I can't undo what this young man did. Now, understand, he, he shouldn't have spent five minutes looking at her chest. He shouldn't have grabbed her by the arm and pulled her into a hall. A lot of things he shouldn't have done. She shouldn't have stood, she shouldn't have stood there for five minutes. The very moment you feel uncomfortable, and this is the part that this generation struggles with, they don't know what to do. Because they really have never been taught to problem solve or critically think. The reality is, shoot, the girl, the four girls didn't know what to do. They, they weren't prepared to know how to respond. Um, and that's the place. We, we make once we get here, I'm not sure we'll un-get here. That's about with all these realities of the things that, I mean, the problem solving, the critical thinking, the fact that these kids desire seriously safety and security, and, and how quickly parents are to try to pave the way or clear the way or to fix things before they're a problem, and make them go away after they are a problem. How do we respond to that? I, how we responded to that situation in the last 48 hours was, handed this kid a letter and said, you're not to come back here. We'll meet you at Starbucks the day after Labor Day and let's talk about where things are.
2: Go for Uh, it.
3: So it surprises me because of um, just the culture and um, society teaches our girls so much, media, all of that. you know, the Me Too and the, um, you know, the Me Too movement and, um, you know, your rights and don't let anyone step on your rights and that these girls didn't know with all of that that's in their face and with, you know, movie stars and musicians and all of them telling that they still didn't know. I mean, it blows my mind that they still didn't know what to do to stop it, like I'm uncomfortable, like even making a scene
0: they came to our (laughs) campus minister later that night Mm -hmm. we we have a campus minister in this place and we have an administrative assistant and they came to the administrative assistant after the meeting and said here's what happened and and I'm not trying to put words in their mouths but they came to her and said fix this Mm -hmm. they they didn't say those words Mm -hmm. but here's what happened to me fix this And I, to the extent that's how we're preparing our young ladies for the times in life when, when young men are gonna act inappropriately, we've, not, we've done a disservice to our young ladies. To the extent, some of these young men who do things like this come out of our churches too. And to the extent we've communicated to young men that, that your behavior is not without bounds and not without consequences, we've done our young men a disservice. One of the seminars, one of the breakouts tomorrow is going to be led by Tony Branham. It's on adulting. It, it's a direct correlation to what we're talking about tonight. Kids in college today really don't know how to be adults. They they don't know how to be and do the kind of things we learn to grow and do along the way. And and we have young men who don't know how to be gentlemen. We have young young women who are more ruled by what culture expects of them than what their lord expects of them. Let me share an example. Please.
1: uh, I've experienced, uh, I volunteer with the Statesboro Fire Department and every year, uh, up until most recently, they had some issues that discontinued it. We used to, in coalition with the university, build three simulated dormitories and we would set them up on the campus, we would actually light them up, let them burn, and let the students see the effect of what it's like to have a fire in your dorm room. a so preliminary to that, uh, we would always bring the students through our meeting, the cafe the community system, uh, and talk to them about, okay, what are you gonna do at 2 o'clock in the morning, you're laying horizontal on your bed, or your bunk, or whatever, you smell the smoke, smell the smoke, what are you going to do? And 90% of them would say, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to get my cell phone, I'm going to get my music recorder, and I'm going to run out the door. That's not the right answer. I would explain to them, in a structure fire, black smoke builds from the ceiling and slowly moves down towards the floor last thing you want to do is stand up vertically and stick your head through that cloud of black smoke because in that cloud of black smoke are some of the most toxic fumes that you could ever inhale chances are you're going to be found unconscious on the floor and they would say oh no I, I can walk through that so I would ask them have you ever been downwind of a campfire smoke oh no what's that (laughs) Have you ever been around a charcoal grill or any kind of a grill and got down into the smoke and had the effect of smoke in your face? Nah, we don't cook. Our nanny cooks. Our mom cooks. Our grandmother cooks. We don't even get near the cooking stuff. And it began to dawn on me that the reason out of 150 young people that we talked to, there were only three that ever had experienced Actual live smoke in their face or the effects of what smoke does to your eyes, your throat, etc. So, how could we possibly expect them to understand not to stand up vertically and exit that building? And I think this is exemplary. Oh, it's exactly a great example. Great example. You know, the bottom line is we as parents, we as the older generation, have not apparently taken the time to expose and teach our kids how to manage life, you know? What's it like to have smoke in your face, kiddo? What's it like to go too fast in your automobile and hit a tree? What's it like to be on the receiving end of a gun barrel, you know? We got kids that are shooting guns, but they don't really understand what the gun does when the bullet comes in one side and goes out the other. They've never seen the effect
0: except on video games they
1: don't
3: connect that they see it on the video and they see that those people go down but they don't connect that that's a person and a, a person that has a soul and a person that feels and they just they don't it's a disconnect and I
0: still have five lives left so I'm, right. I'm moving on to the exactly. next one
3: exactly. yeah it's not a permanent
1: invulnerability. thing. that
3: scares you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. They don't have any idea that they're vulnerable. But you said that they don't expose them to life because we protect them from everything. Yeah. And that's scary.
0: Now another piece and I, I want to keep doing what we're doing. We and and this goes along with what you've just said. I meant to say this a while ago. We have not done a good job of helping our kids distinguish between good stress and bad stress, good anxiety and bad anxiety. Mm-hmm. We we, everybody wants a trophy at the end of the season, but we haven't taught her. I, I don't know how many of y'all played baseball, basketball, whatever you play. but when you get in the batter's box against a kid who's throwing 90 miles an hour, there's a part of you that needs to be, there, there's, a, there's an anxiety that goes with doing that. And if you're in front of a crowd of people, there's a normal anxiety that goes with that. If you're getting ready to head into a test, getting ready to go take SATs, if you, take, you have a class and there's a test, there's, there's some normal anxiety that comes with that. Think about the things that happen in life that produce anxiety, and the reality is we're trying to do everything we can as a culture, everything we can as parents, everything we can as churches to minimize or erase those things that cause anxiety. And, and, and there's some very normal things that should produce anxiety in your life. Walking down the aisle to get married.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I hope you're thinking about this. I hope you're thinking about this. I hope it's just a little scary. Guys, when you get down on your knees and you ask somebody to marry, I hope it scares the fool out of you, it needs to. It needs to scare the fool out of her to accept. You need to understand what this is going to look like. You need to know what this is going to require of me. They're they're heading into a new job. There there ought to be some anxiety. And, And not all anxiety is bad. Matter of fact, some anxiety is what helps build character. Some anxiety and knowing what to do in the midst of it is what makes you strong. I played a lot of baseball. I, I've been beamed a lot of times. So does that make you scared to get in the batter's box for the next pitch? No. It motivated me to hit it right up the middle. Or it motivated me to put it over the fence. But, but we have a generation now, and baseball being a perfect example, you get hit by a pitch, you get hit by life. Something goes wrong, mom dies, dad dies, brother dies, somebody loses a job. Think about all the ways you can be hit by life. And we have a generation of kids that are afraid to step back in the box and take the next pitch.
2: We afraid them that way. We put them in foam boxes, told them that safety is the most important thing, and then in school it goes on. And we keep hearing about safe spaces and not invading safe spaces. To the point where uh, they're taught not to tolerate other opinions,
0: other views. Uh. One of the things that's listed on the side here is the concept of ghosting. Are y'all familiar with ghosting? You're familiar with ghosting.
2: <laughs>
0: it, Mariah's familiar with ghosting. Lace is familiar with ghosting. Anybody older than these three familiar with ghosting?
3: Yeah.
0: Ghosting, let's say you and I have a disagreement about something online and of course that's, that's the life I have is online you've said something that offended me so if, if we're trying to teach our kids biblical values, what happens if somebody says something to you that's offensive or hurts you, scripture's really pretty clear, you go to that person and you work it out, you talk it out scripture has lots of ways that we problem solve through the events of life not if I'm ghosting, you say something that offends me, you're out of here. I just removed you as a friend, I've just blocked you. You are in a digital world. You are dead to me. You don't exist. Uh, let Let me also warn some of you, there are things called Instagram accounts and there are things called Finsta. What's a Finsta account, Mariah? You ready for that one? Are you ready for that one? Oh, I Just There's the Instagram account that your parents know about.
4: Oh yeah.
0: And then there's the false or the fake Instagram account that your friends use. And your parents don't know it,
4: so they can't check.
0: No, they they're looking at your Instagram account. Called Rinsta Real Instagram account, Finsta's Fake Instagram. So I yeah yeah, Mom. You can, here's. Here's my Instagram password. You can log in. You can look at what anybody is saying. Oh, did I just ruin your life? I hope me? not.
5: No,
3: no. Okay, sure. good. She's like, I'm
4: <laughs>
5: but, but see We figured out Finstead or something new.
4: Yeah, they've
5: already.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
4: have you heard of zombies? <clears throat> they come back from the
2: dead?
0: <laughs> not as real as, uh, but, but the ghost thing is just an automatic thing. Okay. You You have offended me. I am wiping you out of my digital world. Which, if the only way we relate to each other is that way, if we really don't have conversations, and and the only way to be my friend is agree with me all the time, then I really have figuratively wiped you out of my life. And so, talk about zombie, because I have an idea what that would be, but. Oh, it's
3: like when someone goes to you and then they come back from the dead. They come back to be your friend?
0: Yeah. Maybe briefly, just long enough to Until uh, you get
3: offended again. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, do they pretend that nothing happened? Like not even acknowledge I mean, or do they maybe fake like, Oh, yeah, well we're just gonna forget that and move on I mean, you know what I mean? I would say it depends on like how the ghosting happened or what right. the situation was, but like that is common, yes. Yeah.
1: All right. So if there wasn't a relationship to start with, what is it why does it matter if you end
0: well Define relationship. relationship. You you said it wasn't a relationship. Well, define relationship.
1: I know what a relationship is, <laughs> but a while ago you said that, that wasn't a relationship. So yeah, if it, I go somebody... It's
0: not what I define as a relationship. Then right. it wasn't really killing it anyway, because it wasn't a relationship. But, but
2: to them, it, to it them
0: it's no, the only the relationship they have. The problem
1: is on this right here, where you decommit to a task or responsibility. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with... you you said
0: something and the one under that is the one i'm talking about what what is wrong is
1: you know we were supposed to go out on a date or you know um or i was supposed to show up to help you break the leaves and i just don't talk that's that's weird.
0: yeah and that's that's there's there's two of them there one underneath that says students decommitting from relationships i'm just
5: i don't see anything
0: wrong with that online
3: online Yeah. yeah online break
1: up with somebody online. No, I'm saying, say me and <laughs> you are a friend, or Facebook friend, or yeah.
3: Instagram, But only online, we don't have a relationship. And you, you no
1: say life. something I don't like. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a, you're a Republican, mm-hmm. I'm a Democrat. So I say, you know what? Talk to so that. Me and I block you, hour. what's wrong with that? It, it wasn't a relationship to start with. Like you said, I yeah.
0: agree 100%. Yeah. So what's wrong with that? Pro- because they think it's a relationship. So
4: yeah. Like, yeah.
5: You know,
0: Okay, here's, here's an example. I had an intern a few years ago. I, I walked into the student center. This was at Georgia State. It's been long enough I can talk about this. I walked into the, the student center at Georgia State, and he just looked at me and said, I said, what, what's up? I won't use his name. What's up? I can't believe it. What can't you believe? We broke up who he was engaged to be married, he and his girlfriend had had brought the relationship to a close and the next the next sentence is what is my best answer for you he said, and this was when Facebook was the norm. He said, "I have over a thousand friends on Facebook, and I've never felt so alone, okay." <laughs> I have over a thousand friends on Facebook and I've never felt so alone. My question becomes, what is your definition of a friend? Is, is your definition of friend what Facebook calls friend? Is, is that what a friend is? Is that as deep as that goes? Is that, I want to tell you, I have some friends of the heart. I have people in my life that including my bride back there, and, I, and I've got two or three other people that I can share anything with. I mean, these these are our friends. These are people who, who lift me up on my worst days, and I lift them up on their worst days, and we do life together, and that is a friend. Now, I have, my kids used to get mad at me because I had more friends on Facebook than they did, but... <laughs> Those are Facebook friends. Okay. That's not what I'm talking about. And so it depends on your definition. Yeah, are there some people over time that that Gail and I've said, mm, I don't need this anymore, and you just you just block them. The person, all they ever say is just negative, negative stuff. I'm sorry. Even if I agree with you politically, you're, I, I just don't need this every day of my life, and you block. Them. It's not a friend. I mean, <laughs> it's not. It depends on your definition. There's it really does.
2: Aspect of that is how far is this going? The example you just cited is okay. The other person says something I don't agree with, and that's it. I don't want to talk to you anymore. But we we have not learned to talk about our differences. to dialogue. to, to I, I remember reading, for instance. A, a, a discussions between, I don't know, Martin Luther and Erasmus of uh, <laughs> Rotterdam. I mean, they, they would they would write letters to each other uh, that, that went on uh, for, for years where they disagreed over theology and stuff like that, and they still considered each other friends. I
0: Brothers mean, in Christ. Today,
2: it's, you don't agree with me, that's it, I'm out.
0: And you're a racist.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yeah.
0: And you're a racist.
3: Okay. But, I mean, and we're going to come into <laughs> contact with people that we don't agree with, that we have to deal with. And when we get into a um, habit of, well, if I, if I don't agree with you and I don't have to deal with you anymore, I'm just going to pretend you're not there. Well, if that person's your boss, or that person's, <laughs> you know, your teacher, or any, or even your coworker, someone that is your equal, you've never learned how to have a difference of opinion. And then I think, as Christians... We are going to differ from non-Christians. We don't need to cut them out of our life exactly. because of what they're thinking or their, even their faith belief or um, political belief. We're not called to call them off. We're, we're to have dinner with sinners. And, I mean, not that we're not, you know, but to um, meet them where they are, and they're not going to have the same opinions that we.
0: Perfect segue. Oh
3: yes, sir.
0: <laughs> how? Uh, no, okay. I mean this is because okay. <laughs> I want to make sure we spend some time. How do we go back and do children's ministry different? How do we go back and teach parenting classes? How do we go back and teach marriage enrichment class? How do we? How do we take what you've learned tonight and how do we do church differently? Because this isn't the fault of the church. This this didn't all happen because the collective total of Baptist churches screwed up in parenting. But we, we need to be honest with ourselves to say in our parenting, in our churches, in our families, in our marriages, we have contributed to the culture. So how do we start to impact that culture? And, and I think the first place you impact is in your family, then in your church, then in your community. How, how do we do children's ministry differently? What do we teach children that, that this points out that we've done a really lousy job of teaching. What, what, how does this change how you do student ministry, youth ministry, when you go back? Let, let's spend the last 12, 13 minutes.
4: This is very old still, but I think we need to talk about sin. And because what I've observed is over the generations, um, we have quit talking about sin, if we talk about it at all, it's making mistakes, and children are taught that they can be anything they want to be, that they're absolutely, you know, perfect in every way, even when they, you know, even when they're they're never wrong, and um, it's and
3: just, all that stuff. You know, <laughs> they're you
4: always know. wrong. <laughs> and, but the thing is, you know. Um, even today, you hear that a lot in Christian music, there's a strong emphasis on uh, how we're all worthy and we're uh, accepted and we're loved and
0: you all be, of that. You be you,
4: <laughs> all of the, Yeah, you that's be right. yourself, right. and all of that is true, but you have to say, despite our sin. Yeah, I mean, God loves us unconditionally, but despite our sin okay. and our unworthiness, and the fact that we, we're, all, we're all like that.
0: So how do we do parenting different? How do we do children's ministry? How do we do student ministry different?
1: You have to, you have to teach your children that you're going to so. That's life, you have to learn how to deal with that. If you don't learn how to deal with that, you just ignore it, then you're going to fall into those traps that a lot of college kids fall into today. They're going to fall into that because they were never taught how to deal with situations, how to deal with difficult conversations. I, like I said, I work at Geico. We have people that are in college age now working their 18, 19 years old that don't know how to have a difficult conversation. No, you don't have this covered on your boxes, so I can't help you. You have to figure out how to have those difficult conversations because if you don't,
0: you're going to get run over. They're just going to refer them to you. But I mean, that's what they. I mean, who can I hand this off to that will handle it? Because I'm not comfortable. I don't feel safe in the midst of this kind. I'm uncomfortable. So somebody else needs to handle it. But I'm sorry, but you're going to bounce into things in life. Again, parents going to die. Things are going to happen. Life's going to happen. It's going to happen to every one of us.
5: I think, that's the, I think that that's the reason that we really have to You have to go back to square one and to be square one is the parents. Like as a church, or as the church, we have to be able to equip parents and come alongside parents because the reality is that most we have children's ministry or youth ministry, um, we'll, we'll say children's ministry, we have three hours a week. It's just not, we are not going to be the a pivotal turning point. The parents. It have Not every kid is going to have that, but we have to be able to equip parents for what for all these changes. And because by the time uh, we were just in one before, a couple of us were in for youth ministry, and they said, you know, children's ministry now is youth ministry of the 90s. We have to. We have to. But in order to even be effective there, it has to start before they get to the children's
0: ministry.
5: <laughs> so you kind not do so much. Right. We can only do so much to affect these different lives. Yes. It has to start with parents. But we can't we can't work to equip parents. Yes. Whether we're parents mm-hmm. or are beyond you know we're past the, the parenting stage. We have to be able to equip and disciple parents through all stages.
0: Now, I'm curious, if you're gonna teach a Bible study on dealing with difficulties <clears throat> in life, which passage would you choose?
4: Joseph.
0: And being betrayed by brothers and, oh, and how one. long one does that oh. how long does that story take? I was
3: on the wrong
2: Joseph
0: and I got confused with We're talking coat of many colors, Joseph. Not, me. One. not, not me.
3: me, not me. Wife. Oh. <laughs> he
4: had this trouble again.
3: So
0: you know, but we, we tend to tell different Bible stories in Bible school. We we tend to, they're short, quick stories where everything, even the story of, of Zacchaeus, we make into a happy story. We don't focus on what. what is it that was happening in Zacchaeus' life that made him have to go up a tree to see Jesus? What was happening in the lives of all these people that made them so busy being drawn to Jesus they were excluding him? Oh, I don't want to think about that. No. Yes. Dive example. in. Job, Job. Job.
1: Job is probably the best example of a in all his
0: life. Okay. How, how about Jonah? When's the last time where you heard a sermon about Jonah that ends the way the book ends? Mm-hmm. Jonah never gets it, folks. Jonah never... Well, he 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 did the wrong thing. He was swallowed by a whale, spit him out, and then he went to Nineveh and preached. And got that. That's not <laughs> where... That, but that's the story yeah. we tell them in Bible school. That's the story we tell them in children's Sunday school. <laughs> it's Good. not the story. It's not how it, me, <laughs> how it ends. You know, it's like for bedtime,
4: you know. We, we dumb down the stories enough. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, someone doesn't get executed, they get banished to the perpetual land of tickling. You know, and stuff like, it's cute for kids, but, you know, like, that's just <laughs> what we... Uh, keep throwing at them is a veggie version of stories.
0: Yeah.
4: And it's not the
3: the biblical, like real.
0: Ooh, real keep, life. keep talking, because you're barking up the tree. I want you to bark.
4: <laughs> I, took, I taught kindergarten for 30 years. And, um, the group of kindergarten teachers I taught with, we decided after a couple of years of this grass lawnmower parents that uh, every parent should required to take a parenting class before they can bring their child home to the hospital. And the first thing they should tell them is that your child is human, they're going to make
3: mistakes, they're going to lie. You know, um, when they go to kindergarten, are you going to believe your child or are you going to believe an adult teacher? Because the majority of them will believe their child over something the adult teacher
4: says. Yes.
0: That, that's coming from a veteran kindergarten teacher there I, I was home but she came home those days
4: <laughs> the basics of
3: all this is that we just need to
1: teach them the Bible the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen that's short right. of the glory of God yeah. now what do we do with that yeah. what do we do with that kids you know? and,
0: and teaching our kids how to, how to understand the difference between good stress good anxiety, bad stress, bad anxiety how, how do we help them learn the stories of how do I work through life. I, I, I think again to focus on some of the Bible stories. And, and if I have a group of pastors in here, I'm going to say a similar thing: stop preaching fairy tale endings to your sermons. Tell, tell tell stories of struggle and and you know when's the last time you heard a, a sermon about how. Uh, let's say Peter, how Peter died, <laughs> and what Peter went through during the last years of his life as he followed the Lord and what it led to up to his martyrdom. We, Huh? No, I'm not going to. And, and some things you don't know. I'm not saying teach your kids all the martyrdom stories. But we, we've got to tell them the stories of faith. we got to tell them the stories of faith. We've got to tell them the stories of hardship. We've got to tell them the stories of missionaries who arrive in a country and it takes them 40 years before somebody even believes them and accepts them and listens to them. What were those 40 years like? What? What? We, we, we're not communicating the stress and the anxiety and the normal ebbs and flows of life to our kids. We've got to figure out how to do that. And we're about out of time. Maybe I should have gotten where I got 15 minutes ago a lot sooner than that but if if nothing else to get you thinking get you thinking because I, I don't think we're the sole problem of collegiate stress and anxiety let's, let's love these kids let's love them where they are I, I have a favorite quote of Billy Graham it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict it's God's job to judge and it's my job to love so get out of the Holy Spirit business get out of the judgment business love people. And if somebody's really far from the Lord, love them in the direction of the Lord. It is the Lord who will convict them of the sins in their lives. It's never been your job to do that. It is the Lord who will ultimately judge them. It has never been, nor will it ever be, your job. Your job is to love people into the presence of Jesus. How might the story of Zacchaeus been different that day if all these people drawn to the presence of Jesus. Is, is, that, is that all church is for? Is that all are we just drawn to be in the presence of Jesus? What if being drawn to the presence of Jesus caused people to turn around and look outward? What if somebody that day drawn to Jesus had turned around and went, Zacchaeus? Now there's somebody who needs to know the Lord. Zacchaeus, come with me. I want you to have a front row seat. But no. I I want you to be enamored with the Lord. I want you to worship the Lord. I want you to to do all the great things that come with being in His presence. And I want you to turn around. And I want you to see the people who need to be even closer than you are. And we spend our time helping people grow closer to to Christ. And that is where the real change will come in their lives. It's not going to come because of a relationship with me. It's going to be because I helped them get closer to the Lord. And that's where change ultimately happens. So how do we do that with our students? How do we do that with our children? How do some of us do that with ourselves? Because the reality is there are people in this very room that are struggling with anxiety and depression too. And so that would be the message I would have for you. The answer is found with you growing closer to Christ. You get to be our last word.
4: Oh, <laughs> well, <you laughs> no to, pressure. How do, how do we do that with children? You know, you have, I guess, in your own home, you have more control. You can present that
3: in your relationship. You can go to your husband and say, "I want, I want to bring Christ into our
4: relationship." But when it's students, like at a public school, and they come to your mental health group and say you know, and they're, they're totally
3: they're having depression, anxiety. I don't think you can, at this point, you can't say, let's try to get you closer to Christ. I think you, how do you do that
0: with your students? Now, are you a public school administrator? Oh, no, no. Okay. No. <laughs> no
3: I'm I just mother and a grandmother.
0: What, and, and, and what I, this isn't the answer to your question, is. it's one answer I've discovered in life. Uh, one of the seasons in my life in ministry was the season when I was a high school football chaplain and I, Lord and I argued about that for about two years. Lord you know I'm in college ministry why is your spirit leading me toward and, and I literally argued with God about this for the better part of two years which was stupid but I finally said at the end of one of the football seasons I went to the end of the year football meeting with the parents And I just, the Lord would not let go of me on this. And I simply said, all right, I will wait until there's nobody in the room but the coach and me. And I'll go say something like, you wouldn't want somebody to work with your kids in a chaplain kind of role, would you? And when it was over, just he and me in the room, and I went down there and I said, I have something that that honestly and and this guy is far from a believing christian okay let me let me just put it that way. I said, I have a relationship with Christ, and I have something that God just won't let go of me with and i have I just feel led to ask you uh, i I just feel led to ask if you could use somebody who could who would work in a chaplain role with kids, and this really really far from Christ person looked at me, and he said, I've been looking for somebody just like you. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, good Lord. All these things I try to teach other people, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and I hadn't been listening to them myself. (laughs) And what started was years of simply being available. The rules are real simple in public school, and this was at a what would now be a 7A program in metropolitan Atlanta. I mean, my job at halftime was not to pray with kids. My job was to pump in IVs. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Mm -hmm. the doc would put IVs in these kids, and my job was to squeeze it in as fast as I could, so that maybe they could get two in him. Uh That was my job. Would that
4: pump them up so they go out
0: and play better? Oh yeah, you pump an IV in a kid to to actually resuscitate them in some cases. Anyway, the bottom line is, I I just did that kind of stuff at halftime, because they're all trying to work on offense and defense. But the hour before meal, before team meal, he gave me 20 minutes. And I simply made myself available to teach an important life lesson that related to scripture. And I would they knew when they came, this is going to be a life lesson related to scripture and we we did that and and what was amazing I couldn't initiate I couldn't walk up to a kid and say you need Jesus but when kids were hurt when kids were injured when they're sitting there wondering if they're ever going to be able to walk again much less play again I can't tell you how many kids would look over at me and say Rev why is this happening in my life what can I do now there's usually a cuss word thrown in there too Uh, But I I would have a chance to talk with them about life, about bouncing through this, how do you get better, et cetera, et cetera. And over years, was able to make a significant difference in their life. It takes that kind of investment, it takes that kind of time. She's ready to come get the recorder, isn't she? Come on in.